Well, will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 60. If you don't have a Bible, we have also reprinted this in your bulletin. And it will be on the slides on the screen behind me. We're taking six Sundays this summer to study the Psalms and to learn how to worship and pray through all kinds of situations in life. And Psalm 60 is for you if you didn't have a stellar week. Okay? I mean, if you had no pain, no rejection, no envy, no temptation, no confusion, no traffic, no restless sleep. I mean, if you just had a perfect stellar week. You don't really need the Psalms. But I don't know anyone who had a week like that. God doesn't write boring chapters. And Psalm 60 is a psalm written for when you have seen hard things. And if you don't need that today, you might need it this week. Because only God knows what he's going to bring. Let me pray first and then I'll read Psalm 60. And we'll learn from Psalm 60 about how to pray and worship to God when you've seen hard things. Let me pray. Bless you, O Lord. Our souls are blessing you. We've gotten to sing and pray and watch the children do the motions to the songs they sang this week. We learned of some of the lessons that were taught to the kids about how they can shine Jesus' light in this world that needs it. But Father, our hearts need the light of Jesus right now. And so you've prepared our worship service to conform our hearts and minds to Jesus, to comfort, to correct, to build up, or to break apart if needed. Lord, you know what we need. And we know now that as we open your word, you will nourish us with your holy words. So give us hearts to receive your nourishing word now. Help us be grateful and receive it with obedience and joy. And Lord, for those who have really seen some hard things... Do for those hearts what they desperately need right now, but which you have lovingly promised to do. Help us receive it all as a gift from you. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 60. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. Selah. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. 
With exaltation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You you do not go forth, O God, with our armies. Oh, grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. This psalm was not featured in a Disney film. Disney is too PG for real life. This psalm speaks of a time when things were really broken. Look at the beginning of verse 3. You have made your people see hard things. When's the last time you saw a hard thing? I happen to know that for some of you, it was today already. A new hard thing. This psalm is for you when you see hard things. When you see life breaking. The things that you were building and contributing to coming apart at the seams. But before we get to the main points of the psalm, we need to ask the question, how did we get here? Why do we live in a world where things break? Where things we try and build, things we try and do for the Lord don't always succeed? Or the families we're building or the neighborhoods or communities we're building, they break apart because of divisiveness or envy or slander or gossip or hatred or deep sin. Why do things break? Why is this the world we live in? Well, sin is the problem. No surprise to anyone who's been coming to this church. We believe that sin has broken the world. This world was not actually designed by our Heavenly Father to break all the time. It was designed to be blessed. If you go all the way back to the beginning, you'll remember that God created humans and gave us a job description. He put our first parents in the garden and gave them the creation mandate. You don't have to turn there, but it's in Genesis 1, 28, and it has three parts. We were here in this originally unbreakable world with three parts to the mandate. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything, right? The fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. So first, we were put here to be blessed. God put us here and blessed us. And then second, he says, fill this place, multiply, be fruitful, make babies, build economies, foster communities, contribute to one another, fill it and make it awesome. And third, subdue it, oversee the growth, take one fruitful tree and plant more fruitful trees, take some wisdom and multiply that wisdom and give it out. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, smooth out some of the rough edges. But then we broke it. Our first parents sinned and sin came in and everything started to break. Everything already built started to break. There's the garden, the beautiful garden. And then God puts the angel there blocking them from participating in the garden anymore. 
God goes to Adam and he's like, this broke. What happened? And Adam blames his wife for the first time ever. And then Eve has nobody else to blame, so she blames the serpent. And the serpent has no one else to blame because it was his idea to steal glory from the Lord and to break this world and to make us live in a world where every day we were faced with circumstances that make us doubt God's goodness. We're in a broken world that breaks all the time because of sin and we are not innocent. We have sinned. And yet, God does not forget the assignment. He still wants his people, even today, in a broken world, to be blessed and to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue it. And God echoes that reminder all the time. In the Old Testament, Noah is told after the flood to let the animals out so that they can be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis 9, God tells Noah and his family, you're blessed, you multiply and fill the earth. And similar promises are made to Abraham, Moses, David, and others. And it remains today. God's people are blessed by God and called to be fruitful. We obey this mandate now through building things. Homes, friendships, churches, neighborhoods, civil society, communities where people feel included and loved and supported and celebrated. And we also obey it literally by making children, planting literal fruitful gardens, being productive at work and at home and sharing the gospel at vacation Bible school, which we did this week. In fact, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is the truest fulfillment of the creation mandate because what produces more fruit in this world than a changed life for Jesus? Than someone who was lost and confused that is found and is no longer confused. That someone who is absolutely hopeless, finding hope. What is more fruitful than that? That's our mission. To glorify God by making fully devoted disciples. But as you read scripture and live your life and wake up each day, if you got any sleep last night, you notice that things break. So Psalm 60 is for us in a broken world teach us how to worship and pray to God when things break, when we have seen hard things. And not only that, because sometimes, as we'll see, sometimes things break because of our own sin. Sometimes we're the ones who break the relationships, who break the promises, who don't do the hard work that God has called us to do. So what do we do? When things break down, how do we move forward when God makes us see hard things? That's Psalm 60. And I trust that you all need this. Or if not, watch out. You might need it this week. In Psalm 60, we have two truths taught in the passage. First truth is that God makes us see hard things. That's truth number one. God makes us see hard things. Now look back at your Bible. Now, if you have your Bible open, many of our Bibles have headings. And so here's this big old heading. It's really big in Psalm 60. And these headings tell us sometimes the situation in which the psalm was written for, during, or a psalm written afterwards to commemorate a moment in the life of David. Many of these uh, superscriptions and headings are for a situation in the life of David who wrote a lot of our psalms. In my ESV, here's what it reads at the top. To the choir master, according to Shushan Eduth, probably a melody, 
a miktam of David for instruction. And then we get the context because he had seen hard things. When he strove with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah, and when Joab on his return struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. That's not going to be on the test. These headings are not necessarily authoritative. Many were added afterwards, after the Psalms were completed, but they can help us learn from the context. And whoever wrote that heading called it a miktam, which it says, a miktam of David for instruction. This is a song written to teach a lesson to the next generation. When the Israelites would sing this song throughout their liturgical calendar through the year, they would sing this psalm at least once a year, and they would preach on it and teach on it and learn it. They were supposed to learn something from this song. It's a teaching song, like a lot of kids learn in school growing up. So this psalm is useful for learning, and the situation it was written for was one of massive military struggle. When enemies were all around, when people were dying, when things were breaking, when war wasn't subsiding and there was no peace to be found. That's when this was written for. And King David, as you know, if you've read your, read, your, read your Bible a lot, David had a lot of success. He was building this beautiful kingdom. God was doing great things. But even though things were building up beautifully and well, the enemies weren't stopping. They didn't stop trying to destroy what he helped build. In fact, the more success David had, the more his enemies hated him and the more trials he faced. Isn't that interesting? As the old rap song says, mo money, mo problems. And mo means more, if you don't know rap language. More money, more problems. Isn't that true sometimes? More success, more problems. Have you seen that? More fruitfulness, more problems. More children, more problems. More ministries, more problems. More responsibility, more problems. Have you seen that? More friends, more problems. David was facing major military threats and he was concerned for his people. God had blessed him so much, but in the blessing, there were all of these challenges and trials and enemies and burdens and suffering around him. And so he said, I've seen hard things. And this song is for us when we've seen hard things. And so the biggest lesson we can learn this morning is that God is the one who makes us see hard things things. Point number one. Look at the first four verses again and notice for the word I emphasize. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow, Selah. You, 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 you. The psalmist doesn't say the enemy's doing this. The bad guy's doing this. These other people are doing this. My government's doing this. Those people are doing this. The psalmist is saying, you, Lord, have made us see hard things. The psalmist does not believe in coincidences or karma. He believes in a sovereign God who has brought him into this situation for a reason, for a purpose. 
And a lot of people believe in something other than God. A lot of people in our country, I think, believe in karma. What you do comes back to get you in the end. You give it out, you're going to get it back. The joke is that they're going to open a restaurant called Karma and there are no menus. You just sit down and get what you deserve. (laughs) A lot of people believe in that. You see posts on social media. See this person because they're on that team got what they deserve. That's Karma. But when life is really hard, is that what you believe? Because what's that going to do for you? If you believe it's all karma, how is that going to get you through hard things? What if you believe in fate and it's all coincidence? Is that going to get you through hard things? The psalmist is seeing hard things and he declares that God is the one who brought him to this situation. God is the one who is writing this chapter. You have choices on what to believe when you've seen hard things. Fate says, oh, well, Just my luck. That's not going to help you. Karma says, I deserve all of this because I've been awful. But faith says, God is in control. God is in control. Only one of those is true and only one of those can get you through. Most of you know that back in the fall, right before we started a new school, my daughter fell from a tree and broke both of her wrists. So consider my options If I believed in coincidence or karma or sovereignty of God. So my daughter broke both of her wrists. I could say, oh, well, it happens. But then the suffering was pointless. It was purposeless. Who wants to go through pointless suffering? Why live in a world like that? Or if I believed in karma, I could have thought, I guess it's my fault that my daughter broke both of her wrists. And that would be unbearable guilt and suffering for me if I thought it was all my fault that God let something bad happen to my family. I would be crushed by guilt or I would have to find someone else to blame. Or we could have believed as a family that God was writing that chapter for us. And when you believe God is in control and he is the one who makes you see hard things, that makes the chapter of your life livable and understandable. So we knew that our Heavenly Father who loved us had given us as a family a difficult assignment which we were just to receive from his loving hands in faith and act as best we could for his glory. When life is hard, you have three choices about what to believe. Maybe four, maybe ten. I don't know. But I think a lot of people believe it's either fate or karma or God's in control. And that's what the psalmist says in the midst of a very, very difficult situation. But on top of God being the author, he isn't this absent-minded author, this distant author like we saw with the laser pointer on the wall over there. God isn't just this distant author. He writes himself into the story. Because who has seen harder things than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who walked into the hard things so that God could save us and walk with us through those hard things. He isn't a distant author. He has seen hard things too. But he isn't just the author who knows suffering. He actually is the one who gives victory or defeat over those hard things. Look at verse 1. You see both of them there. 
Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. There the author says God breaks and restores. And what God breaks, we cannot fix apart from him. His path is prayer and trusting him and obeying his word. When things break, he is the only one who can fix it. Think about when you sin. When you break things with your sin, God's plan is repentance. You can't fix sin apart from his plan, apart from his word. What we do is we repent of our sins and he is faithful and just and will purify of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's his plan. We can't fix sin apart from his plan and that's why we need a savior. Think about when you sin against someone around you. His instruction is to repent and to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Think about it. Think about how God is the only one by his way who can break or fix. When you scream at your kids in pure rageful anger, you can't fix it with ice cream. You might try. That's not autobiographical. When you gossip about a friend or a classmate or a neighbor and you break their reputation, you can't fix that with an emoji. Sorry. You can't fix that. You can't be an absent father and fix it with a shiny car. God is the one who breaks and God is the one who restores And so what God breaks, we cannot fix in our own power. We must go to him in prayer and worship and obedience and to plead with him to fix what he has allowed to break. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7.13. You don't have to flip there, but it's a great verse, a powerful verse, a very painful verse to come to realize, but it's true and we need to believe it. Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? We can't. Only he can. But trusting that God is the one who breaks and also the one who fixes, these verses are not hopeless. Look now at verse 4. You, 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 you. Verses 1 through 3. Now look at the you in verse 4. You have set up a banner. Something flying high in the sky. Lift your head up, brother or sister in Christ, and look at the banner. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. And so when you see hard things, when things are broken, and you know that only God can fix them, the psalmist says, run to God, to the banner he has set up, no matter how hard it is. So point number one, God makes us see hard things. And when he does... He set up a banner, fix your eyes on him and run to him in prayer, in worship, in faithfulness, in repentance, in obedience. But before moving on, there's another question we need to ask and we need to be really, really careful with what I'm about to say. Okay, really, really careful with this information. Why does God make us see hard things? He does. But why? And for the sinful world, it is sometimes judgment and condemnation. But in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation anymore for our sins. 
So why do Christians still see hard things? There are three options. Discipline, discipleship, and display. Discipline, discipleship, and display. And often, let's be honest, it's a combination of those three. Remember in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. We do not pay for our own sins, but God disciplines those he loves. And sometimes he will let us fail or sin in a way that is public or painful or humiliating or shameful or reputation breaking. And he'll do that to alert our hearts to the idols that are killing us so that we will repent and turn back to him and run to his banner for healing and redemption and salvation. And sometimes he disciplines us. With consequences. Why do we see hard things? Sometimes it's discipline. Let's say you're out gambling all the time and you've gambled all your family's money away. Foolish use of money. And then you can't pay a bill and you feel the pain. I can't pay this bill on time. The Lord is making you see a hard thing and it's discipline to correct you. To turn you back to him so that you'll stop being so foolish with the money he gave you to steward. So sometimes it's discipline, consequences for our foolishness or our sin. Sometimes it's discipleship, a test in this life to make you more like Christ. And sometimes, and this is really helpful to remember, sometimes God makes you and I see hard things and it has unrelated to any sin we've ever committed. We don't deserve it. It's not karma. We just see something hard and God is going to use that to disciple us and make us more like Jesus Christ. It is a gift from his loving hands so that we can grow. So sometimes it's discipleship, but sometimes it's display. Sometimes God will put you in a situation just to show the world his glory as he shines his light through you. It's a trial and you'll suffer in front of other people and they will see your faith and glorify your heavenly father because of it. We see this in John chapter 9. You remember the man who was born blind? Well, why was he born blind? Everybody wanted to know. Was it coincidence? Was it karma? Whose fault is it? Let me read John 9 verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That man was born blind so he could see the glory of God displayed in his life. That was for display. Faith accepts the hard things that we have to see from God because it leads to God's glory in this life and eternal glory in the life to come. So for the Christian, we see hard things for discipline, discipleship, or display. And sometimes it might even be all three. But all of those reasons have purpose. All of them have meaning. None of them are useless. So let's ask, which of those was it in Psalm 60? As I read it earlier, did any of those three, do you think any of those three are what's going on here? Well, let's look again at verse one. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been, here's the clue, angry. Oh, restore us. Why was God angry with them? Well, it must have been for their sin. 
It must have been for some sinful thing going on in their nation, in their community, maybe even in the king's heart or the king's rule. And when God is angry, he disciplines us. He sees our sin which destroys us and he loves us enough to train us out of that with loving discipline from his loving hand. This is not a relationship ending or relationship breaking anger. It's a productive fatherly anger to produce maturity in his people and to wake them up to something. And verse 4 tells them, when you do that, when you sin and dad's angry, run back to God. His banner is flying high. His door is open. The prodigal son comes back and there's a feast prepared for the son who sinned, who runs back to God. And so children of God, if you've sinned grievously against your heavenly father, run back to him. His arms will be wide open. Well, that's point number one. God makes us see hard things. And when we see hard things, we run back to God. They're for discipline, discipleship, or display. And then we run back to God in prayer or in worship, maybe even with the words of Psalm 60. Which brings us to point number two. Point number two is that God delivers his beloved. God delivers his beloved. So first, God makes us see hard things. And second, God delivers his beloved. Look at verse five. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. Hold on a second. This is like whiplash when you're reading the song. The lyrics change so drastically. I thought God was angry. I thought God had broken our defenses. I thought God was letting the enemy win here and there. What is going on? How can the psalmist say that your beloved one might be delivered? Well, that's the truth. Our Heavenly Father's anger at sin does not mean he stops loving us. A father's anger does not mean he stops loving his children. Of course, this is no excuse for unhinged anger or selfish anger. Dads particularly need to be careful. Don't justify all your anger with verses like these. But God was angry at his people's sins. And yet, verse 5 again, the psalmist can say that your beloved ones may be delivered. Friends, God delights to deliver his people. He delights to get you through a really hard situation. He has delighted to get many of you through some of the most difficult things human beings could possibly go through. And if you've been here getting to know our people, you know some of the stories in this church family. The impossible situations that our Heavenly Father has brought some of our brothers and sisters through. The unbearable trials that would crush someone who had no hope. God has gotten some of the folks here through unbearable trials. He delights to deliver his beloved children. And so God delights to deliver his people in and through the hard things we have to see. And we worship God through it. Not once it's over, but we worship God through it. So let's look now at verse 6 again. This is a psalm, so it's a song of victory. And I'm going to read it in a sing-song kind of way. Starting in verse 6. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the veil of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. 
They would have sung that song and they would have known the melody. I don't know the melody. And if I did know the melody, I couldn't sing it anyway. But those place names in this worship song are the locations in and around God's people, in and around the promised land. It's the names of the places where God's people were and the names of the places where the enemies were coming from. And so if this is you and you're singing this, it's your home, it's your hospital visits, it's your phone calls with a doctor, it's your bus rides to and from school, it's where you've been bullied or where you've been persecuted, it's all of the places in your life where God has promised to be with you. That's what those verses are saying. They're in Skipak, they're in your neighborhood, they're in your workplace, they're in your home, they're in your bed when you lay your head down at night and sometimes you cry yourself to sleep. Right there, that pillow, God has promised to be with you. That's what these verses are saying. All those gifts in Israel were gifts from the Lord. They were still from God. He had not stopped his promises. He had not lost control, even though his people had to see hard things. As we heard earlier at our house of prayer, there's some of the kids at the Coptagot Children's Home who our people going on Wednesday on the missions trip will be ministering to, there's some children who have seen hard things. And we're going to hear them praise their heavenly father who calls them beloved and who has delivered them through really hard things. That's going to be their testimony. What does God do? He gives us homes, businesses, prophets, children, friendships, neighbors. He gives all of them to us as gifts and we are to steward them for his glory. But sometimes they get hard to look at. In fact, this psalm, think about it. Psalm 60 is not the song for after the battle is over. This song is not written afterwards saying, well, I'm glad you got me through that. No, we worship Through prayer and song, we worship our Heavenly Father with these words as we go through the hard parts, as things still look hard. That's when we need to run to that banner. That's when we need to worship with a song like Psalm 60. Songs, good songs, good worship songs remind us our our hearts and minds of God's promises. Do you like to sing? Be honest. Do you like to sing? Raise your hand if you like to sing. Okay, not enough of you. We're going to be singing in the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to be doing a lot of things. It's going to be glorious, but one day I will enjoy my own singing voice and that will be neat. We sing at home. We try and have fun. We sing at family worship. Singing is powerful. Why has God designed us to sing worship songs when we've seen hard things? Because when you sing, you forget about the enemy. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's naming the enemies and singing a song that God is in control of that. He's naming the things that are causing him to struggle and he's singing a song to God saying, you are in control. I will trust you, not my circumstances. So when you sing, you forget the enemy. It makes me think of uh, one of the songs I've sung with a big group of people. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. No surprise. They're a football team, if you didn't know who they were. I was at a game in 2014, and uh, we had a 
backup quarterback playing that night. So Nick Foles was our starting quarterback. And he went down with an injury. And I had tickets. And so we went to this Monday night game. And we had to sit through Mark Sanchez as the backup. We were not expecting much. Okay, so we scored 45 points that night. I was at the link when we scored 45 points. And totally 43 more points than I thought we were going to score. And every time the Eagles score a touchdown, thousands and thousands of people sing the Eagles fight song. I'm not going to sing it. I'll sing it when they score a touchdown. It's about 40 seconds long. And the whole crowd resounds in this song. And you're singing a song of victory. And we got to sing it six times that night. And every time we were singing with this crowd, we were singing about how our team was winning over the enemy. You, when you sing a victory song, you forget the trial. You forget the hard thing. You forget the enemy. And you remember who's in charge. But when you're singing the Eagles fight song, you don't know if they're going to win. But when you're singing Psalm 60... You know who wins. The song isn't just to get you through the game with a chance of winning. The song places your hope, your heart and mind is fixated on the Heavenly Father who delivers his beloved, even though it cost him his beloved son going to the cross to die against the enemy, to defeat our enemy. To earn victory for God's people, God sent his beloved son to death so that you and I could be called beloved sons and daughters. And So when you've seen hard things, we run to the banner, we sing praise to God. He delivers his beloved And we know he will because when it was the hardest, Jesus saw hard things and walked all the way to the end, even to death. So that the hard things we see, which are from the Lord, can be for our discipline, our discipleship, or a display of God's glory And as God gets us through it, he makes us more like Jesus Christ. He delivers his beloved now and in the age to come. And it all happens for our good and our Heavenly Father's glory. So all those hard things we see have an eternal purpose. So may God give us faith to receive those hard things that we're seeing from our loving Heavenly Father's generous hands. Let me pray. Lord, our eyes have seen hard things, but you have seen all of them. You'll be with us today as you discipline or disciple, or display your glory in our lives. Lord, help us not be crushed by the hard things we see. Help us run to that banner you have flying high with prayer and praise and worship and tears and shouts of victory.
Lord, give us songs like the one we're about to sing. To sing when the tempter comes to tempt us to despair. When things really, really are hard. Give us songs. Put a song in our heart and mind to fix our heart and mind on you and your son, Jesus Christ, and your powerful Holy Spirit who lives inside us. And may his work in us this week be powerful when we see hard things. Thank you that all these hard things are from your loving hand and you will not let us be crushed by them, but they will serve your purpose of being for our good and your glory. So Lord, when we see hard things, help us say it is well with our soul and run into your open and loving and mighty arms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.